Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Harshness is one of the most typical forms of anger, and the most common context for it is within the family construct, especially between a husband and a wife. When you put two or more sinners in a box for an extended period, their rawest Adamic tendencies will be impossible to hide. Dating is great, but living together forever increases the possibilities of sin exponentially. And so I trust that these seven considerations that I want to share with you will help you, especially if you are married to a harsh person. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and I welcome you to Life Over Coffee. You can find me and our team at lifeovercoffee.com. I have titled this, Seven Things to Know When Living with a Harsh Husband. Now, I've titled it that way on purpose because when someone writes into us and they're talking about a harsh spouse, 95% of the time, they are talking about their husband. Now, I realize that wives can be very harsh, can be super angry. I get it. We get those emails as well. But I am writing specifically to women who do struggle with this, and I do get the emails. We are listening, and we want to serve you. We want to serve both of you. Uh, But in this particular uh, article, the podcast, and the video, I am writing directly to any wife who happens to be married to a harsh man. Now, there are seven things that I want to share with you, but before I share those seven essentials, there are a few complexities that I want to highlight, especially if the harsh person happens to be a husband. For example, more than likely, the wife has no grounds for divorce. It's a harsh man. That is not grounds for divorce. Also, God calls her to submit to her husband while expecting her not to sin against him. This is just the role that she has in the marriage. And so that adds a unique complexity when the harsh person is actually over you in a role responsibility. Now, unfortunately, in too many situations, it could be a while before she sees any changes in him making a lot of marriages like this heartbreaking. Whenever the Lord calls me to help a struggling wife, sometimes I feel like the doctor who has to tell his patient some really bad news. I mean, I wish that I could tweak the marriage. I wish that I could change the marriage, but I know that I can't. My call is to water and to plant while pleading with the Lord to bring the needed transformation in the life of the husband Also transformation in the wife because there's things that she needs to address too. And then restoration ultimately in that one flesh union. I realize that it is a short step for her from trusting and resting in the Lord to thinking that God is distant and even silent. Unmitigated suffering can change our attitude toward God. I mean, we pray, we appeal, we plead, we beg, but our circumstances do not improve. In time, we can quickly think that the Lord does not care or that the Lord is uninvolved in our situation. Drifting from God is a simpler temptation than you might think. There is a vacuum in a dysfunctional marriage that can keep a spouse alone. 
even while they are in a crowd on Sunday morning at their church meeting. They can feel very alone, and in many times they are harboring a secret, and the secret is that our marriage is not what it should be. It is not honoring the Lord. And if you are not careful, you can begin to think that the good Lord has left you too. And I want you to know loud and clear that that is not true. So of the seven considerations that I want to share with you, the first thing that I want a struggling wife to know is that God loves you and your circumstances do not alter his love for you. Conditions can change us, but one of the Lord's many attributes is his immutability, meaning God never changes. And so what you want to do, number one, remember that God loves you and you want to preach the gospel to yourself every day. If you're in a situation like this, then repeat after me, quote, God loves me. And he proved his love by sending his son to die on the cross. Jesus paid for my sins and I am eternally secure, even though my marriage is not all I had hoped that it would be, closed quote. It's tempting to lose sight of God's love, making this assurance the first thing to remind yourself of when the person you married is not loving you well. Number two, I want you to consider that sin captures us. The word Adam means red man or man of the earth. In Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God breathed into man, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He was created from the dust of the ground. You could say that Adam is a dirt clod and so is the harsh husband. For the record, all of us are dirt clods. There are no exceptions to that rule. When the Lord looked down on his creation in Psalm 103, verse 14, he remembered that we are dust. There is a fragility and a vulnerability to humankind. We are jars of clay. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And so after you mix the doctrine of sin into our pre-made clay containers, we are a mess. Harsh husbands are a particular kind of mess. And so without condescension, without elevating yourself in a self-righteous way, it would do your soul well to recognize that he is a mess no matter what you think of him or how he tries to present himself, he is a vulnerable, depraved mess who cannot maintain any sustained goodness apart from the grace of God. Listen how Paul talked about this particular kind of mess, the harsh husband. He said in Galatians 6, 1, 2, and 3, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Wife, this is your calling to your hot mess husband who is harsh. Paul went on to say, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul would say sin has caught your husband Imagine walking through the woods and finding your husband ensnared by a bear trap around his ankle. 
That is what Paul is saying. Sin caught your husband who cannot extricate himself from it without your help. Captured by sin is a fundamental understanding which should lead you to pity him as you think about his frame. Go back to Psalm 103, verse 14. The father pities his children knowing that we are dust. In this case, your husband is the dust that has been impregnated by sin. He's caught. He's captured. His incarceration does not excuse his sin, and so I'm not saying that at all. There is no out for him. Only the pathway of repentance will work. But I trust that it will motivate you to gently confront him. Both of those things should be operative. You want to restore him in a spirit of gentleness, and part of that gentleness may be corrective care. And so seven things to know when living with a harsh husband. Number one, God loves you. Number two, sin has captured your husband. And then number three, you must restore. Again, this is what Paul was saying, restore in a spirit of gentleness. So as you understand him, you're not condescending anymore. You recognize that he was made from the dust. Sin has impregnated him. He is a fragile jar of clay. He is captured by sin, and so you want to come alongside him. Number three, you want to restore Understanding his fallenness is where you must think seriously about how you want to respond to him. I mean, how would you react if you walked up on him in the forest? I mean, let's just have a thought experiment for just a moment. You're walking through the woods, and you see your husband there, and he has stepped in a bear trap, and now it owns him. It has captured him. Would you become angry with him, or would you try to restore him gently? Perhaps going back and rereading what Paul is asking you to do in Galatians 6, verses 1, 2, and 3 would be helpful. Humbly responding to Paul's teaching is one of the most demanding applications of the gospel a person could ever make. Submitting yourself to the sins of others. Think Christ here. He gave himself up for us, the caught ones. Now, I am not saying that you should submit to physical harm. That is another discussion. You should never subject yourself to violence, but yet you want to come alongside your husband and you want to be part of God's restoration team. And so number one, God loves you. Number two, sin has captured your husband. Number three, God is calling you to restore him or to cooperate with God in the restoration of him. And then number four, don't do this alone. Find help. Because your husband's habituation is in a pattern of harshness and you are vulnerable, obviously, because you are submitted to him, you must reach out for help. Do not go through this alone. Regardless of his desire to control you through his manipulations or any attempts that he may have toward reputation management because he is concerned what other people think about him, he may try to manipulate you to keep you from seeking help. But you must find someone to help you both walk through this process. You see, submission to him does not prevent you from helping him. If sin has captured him, then you must 
help him. You can submit to him and help him at the same time. Those things do not negate each other. I mean, one of the aspects of submission is respect. And if you do not help him, then you do not respect him. Maybe you can substitute the word love for respect. If you love him, you will help him. I know sometimes that some men have said that your role is to submit. Therefore, you have no space or no opportunity to speak into my life. That is not a biblical teaching. It is not supported by Scripture. Again, you can do this while submitting to him. Lucia and I have asked our children to do this for us. When they experience our sinfulness, we ask them to question our words and question our behaviors, seek to understand, and seek to help. Submission to us and speaking into our lives do not negate each other. Only a twisted view of submission would teach this. Our children live in those dual roles of submission and equality, as well as my wife lives that way with me. We are equally made in the image of God and equally of the same status in the body of Christ, though we have different roles in our relationship. Therefore, point number four, find help. Don't go through this alone. The fifth thing that I would say to a wife who has a harsh husband is, think about the long haul. There is a good chance your husband will... This is negative, I know, but there is a good chance that your husband may never change to your complete satisfaction. I do not know if he will. I think it would be presumptuous on my part to say that he will change, and so I cannot be honest with you and, and offer that. I am unsure if the Lord wants him to change. Maybe that is another way or a better way to think about it. I know that there are scores of situations in the Bible where the Lord allowed sin to stay while using sin in a sinless way. Things never changed for some of these people. For example, Paul's thorn in the flesh was a, a permanent situation in his life, and God was very clear, I am never, ever going to change this. Of course, Paul learned through that process that his uh, God's strength is perfected through Paul's weakness, and Paul even found contentment in that, knowing that God can do a greater work through his weakness. The story of Joseph is another example of a person who experienced an unchangeable situation. He never came out of Egypt alive. And then, of course, the life of Pharaoh, too. God can use sin for a grander purpose, purpose and sometimes it may mean that the things that are detriments or difficulties for us or things that God will use to propel us to a greater usefulness in God's world. Of course, the most profound illustration of this is the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul said it this way, For our sake God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I am not saying this is the case for you, but it is not out of the realm of possibilities. And though it is a counterintuitive way of thinking to our native way of thinking, 
Well, that is a possibility. There are times when suffering is God's way of breaking us from our self-reliant tendencies. As a matter of fact, Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I want to share that with you, and I want you to notice how Paul talked about his suffering in Asia. He did not want folks to misunderstand why God was permitting this hardship in his life and the lives of his team. There will be times when our suffering is the perfect means for God to demonstrate his strength through us. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, and I think that is a key phrase there, that God was pushing them beyond their strength, beyond their ability to rectify the situation. Sometimes God has to put us in a place where we cannot rely on ourselves, but we have to rely on Him who raises the dead. He becomes our only viable option. And that is exactly what Paul said. He says we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And so I do not know God's mind on what is going on with your harsh husband or what the process will be or even if he will overcome it. But I do know this, uh, that there could be a long haul and there is a possibility that God will use uh, this thorn in you all's flesh as a means of his strength to be perfected in you. So number five, prepare for the long haul. And then number six, probably obvious, expected, pray without ceasing, unceasing prayers. Though I am unsure your husband will change, there is no question the Lord is calling you to an otherworldly reliance on him along with reminding yourself of the impossible. And I've talked a little bit about the impossible here, sounding a little bit negative. But again, I have to be honest with you because we do not know the outcome. What we have to know are, is God, and there are possibilities within God's worldview that change may not come. And so as we were reminding ourselves of the impossible, we must remind ourselves also of the possible. The impossible says, I cannot change my husband. The possible says, the Lord can change our relationship. If you only remind yourself of the impossible, you may become depressed and thus set up for temptations that will develop sin patterns in your life. As you remind yourself of the impossibility of the situation, be sure to transition quickly to making your supplications known to the Lord. Pray without ceasing. I want to give you five ways that you can pray. And of course, I welcome you to add to this list. Number one, ask the Father to change your husband. That is a great desire. That is a wonderful prayer. Ask the Father to change your husband, that he no longer be harsh, degrading and devaluing in his speech, but uplifting and encouraging in his speech. 
Also, that he will be a repentant individual, that when he does falter, as he will episodically, uh, that he will be quick to repent. Ask the Father to change your husband. Number two, ask the Father to change you. There are things in your life that you know you need to address, and I trust that you will appeal to the Spirit of God to illuminate your mind, to help you to see these things so that you can address them. Number three, give thanks to the Lord for your husband. I'm reminded of this by the way that Paul talked about the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first nine verses, Paul is expressing gratitude to these mean people. Perhaps that would be a wonderful exercise for you is to read the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians just to gather Paul's heart for those mean-spirited people and then ask ask God to give you a heart of gratitude for your husband. Give thanks to the Lord for your husband. Number four, give thanks to the Lord for what he is teaching you. And then number five, give thanks to the Lord for random things. Now, as you heard in these five types of prayers, three of them were offering gratitude. Let me give you a quirky cliche. Your gratitude will affect your attitude. Yeah, I know it's quirky, but you will remember it. And it's also true. Applying gratitude toward your, toward your life will change you regardless of what happens to your husband. Now, if you are predisposed to journaling, then I recommend that you write out your grateful thoughts each day and just present them to the Lord. Now, I know that everybody is not given to journaling. That is something that I do, and it has been beneficial for me for many, many years But the point here is that Paul had a habit of being grateful for mean people. Let me give you one partial verse here in 1 Corinthians 1. I was asking you, perhaps you can read those first nine verses in 1 Corinthians 1. Here's verse number four. I give thanks to my God always for you. That is really profound when you contextualize it within what that letter is and to whom he wrote that letter uh, to. Those people were some super mean people. And so uh, number six is pray without ceasing, unceasing prayers. And then finally, seven things to know when living with a harsh husband. Number seven, guard your heart. I know that's intuitive. You already know it, but I wanted to say it aloud. I want you to guard your heart with all diligence because what flows out of your heart will determine your course of life. And so if you look at your heart as a a fountain uh, that's going to go in one direction or another, well, depending on what bubbles up from that fountain will determine what direction you go. Therefore, you want to guard your heart. Your marriage may tempt you to sin because your disappointment is deep and it is complex. And so under this category of, or this consideration of guard your heart, I want to share with you six possible sin traps for you to consider while you're asking the Lord to fortify your heart so that you don't fall in any of these traps. The first one, and it's the most obvious one, of course, is anger. 
In James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, James says that he's connecting anger to something that we are not getting. What causes quarrels? What causes conflict? Is it not this? You desire something you want, and you do not have, so you murder. And so he's connecting something that we want to something that we are not getting. When we don't get it, we become angry. The most practical way to repent of your anger is to identify what you are not getting, or perhaps what you are afraid of losing. Whatever that thing is that you want will be the source, will be the cause of your anger. And so as you look at your marriage, this probably will not be difficult for you to articulate, to identify, but just identify the thing that you're not getting now, and that is where you want to fortify your heart, because if you're not careful, you desire, you do not have, so you murder, and you may find yourself murdering your husband in a spiritual sense as far as getting angry at him. And so ask the Spirit to reveal this to you, that desire that you have, and then fight to eliminate it so it doesn't control you to the point of reacting sinfully angry uh, when you do not get it. I'm in ca- I'm at- I'm at number seven, guard your heart, and I'm, I want to articulate five subcats uh, under that. The first one is anger. The second one is revenge. Part of your anger will be to inflict punishment on your husband. And so carefully study yourself. Figure out how this temptation operates in your life. All of us are different. So how we react to others is going to vary. It may be good for you to talk with a close friend who is familiar with your situation and has the courage to help you identify how you may sin against your husband because not only could this anger uh, be connected to something that you're afraid of losing or something that you're not getting, there could be a sense of revenge born out of entitlement and you could be punitive towards your husband and so guard your heart against that. Number three, under guard your heart, is self-pity. Another form of anger is when you turn it away from your husband and onto yourself, which can manifest in several ways. And one of those ways is self-pity. Anger turned inward is self-pity, and it can destroy the soul. It will eat you alive if you do not promptly take care of it, impacting your thoughts, impacting your emotions, impacting your attitudes. And so you want to guard against not just anger outward, whether it's sinful anger towards your husband, whether it's revenge or whether it's anger turned on you of self-pity, you want to guard against all of these possibilities. And then number four is regret, which is in the neighborhood of self-pity. It's another form of anger. Born out of disappointment, which ties to an insufficient understanding of the sovereignty of God. You see, regret is a ground-level, backward glance at life's circumstances that marginalizes sovereignty. Regret does not consider how God is in your mess and how he is working redemptively to bring about purposes that you cannot perceive at this moment. Be careful here. Guard your heart. God is multitasking, and you must assume that you are working with insufficient data. And so whether it is anger, whether it is revenge, self-pity, regret, number five, under guard your heart, is fear. 
Your fear can come at you from many angles. The opposite of fear is faith. The most oft-repeated appeal in the Bible is fear not. If you begin applying some of the things that I'm sharing with you, your fear will slowly morph into confidence in God, which is another way of saying faith. The ability to do more than God's ability to do more than you could ask or think. And so number five, under guard your heart, is fear. I've titled this, Seven Things to Know When Living with a Harsh Husband. You can read everything that I just shared with you at lifeovercoffee.com under that title. Now, as always, we try to have CTAs at the end of all of our content, Call to Action. And so I want to ask you a few questions, and we'll wrap up here. Number one, do you believe that God is in your mess why did you answer that way? And what does it reveal about your relationship with him? This would be a good conversation to have with that friend. Number two, how does the love of God buoy your soul during this time of marital challenges? Again, another conversation that you want to have. You really have, and that's why I made it number one, you really have to dial in on the love of God. God loves you. Uh, we can go into these modes of self-pity and, and regret and, and just disappointment, discouragement, depression, despair, and so on and on. There's so many temptations that are around the periphery of our lives, and they are waiting. They're crouching at the door, and we want to keep reminding ourselves that God loves you. And so the question is, how does the love of God buoy your soul during this time of marital challenges? Number three... Of the five things listed under the last point, number seven, guard your heart, would you take the time to rank them in order of the most challenging to you? And then write out one thing that you will do to overcome each one of those challenges. I mentioned five things to you. There was sinful anger. There was uh, revenge. There was self-pity. There was regret. And there was fear under the guard your heart section. Number four, as you think about sin capturing your husband, you remember walking through the forest and seeing him caught in a bear trap, does it drive you to pity him while motivating you to want to come alongside him to help restore him in a spirit of gentleness? My follow-up is, why did you answer that way? Because I know that some women at this point, they, they, they are too far down the line, and they have succumbed to some of the things that I'm warning them about here. And, and when they see their husband caught in a bear trap, maybe they're thinking about revenge, and it's more like, praise God. I'm glad that he's suffering for what he has done, and there's no pity whatsoever for uh, what is happening to him? And so it's a very important question as you think about sin capturing him. Does it drive you to pity him while motivating you to want to come alongside him to help restore him? Number five, why is it okay to lead your husband while submitting to him? Now the answer is that your role is submission, your role. But you're also a fellow image bearer that God calls to love well including how you bring corrective care to your husband. What would this kind of care look like in your situation? And then finally, number six, who will you call? Who will you call on to help you restore your husband in a spirit of 
gentleness. Seven things to know when living with a harsh husband. I would encourage you to get this resource. Uh, you can read the entire article as I have just shared it with you. You can listen to the podcast, the audio version if you're on the run. You can also watch the video too, so you can read, watch, or listen format. But also there's a lot of internal linkage there. There's links where you can go throughout our coffee shop at lifeovercoffee.com and you can read other content that is associated with this. And so you may find this resource uh, to be a long-term, a six-month or maybe even a 12-month uh, homework assignment as you work through all of the internal linkage that is associated with this one resource. And so I would encourage you to do that. And then if you are helping someone, if you're coming alongside a wife, maybe this would be beneficial, as well as other articles that you connect to throughout our coffee shop at lifeovercoffee.com. For those of you who are interested in training, I would appeal to you to check out our Mastermind program. It is an all-online self-paced study course. You never have to leave your home or leave your coffee shop. You fold it into your life. You work it at your pace, and then we do customized care all along the process as you work through this discipleship course, learning how to do biblical counseling. We are a leadership de development ministry. We don't offer counseling. Uh, we, uh, we don't have counseling service services, but our goal is to offer hope and help for you and others so that you can come alongside them and bring that care. And if we can help you in that training process, please jump in and read about our Mastermind program, and maybe this would be a good season for you. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.